0: This is the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley, bringing you the best of my Times radio show. You can listen to us live, 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on your DAB radio, on your smart speaker, or on the Times radio app. But luckily, you're here for the best bits. Every day, we bring you our big thing, which airs at 11 o'clock on the show, uh, and also our columnist panel. And our big thing today, unfair state or welfare state? We examine the state of the benefit system with some exclusive new polling, which shows that the public now thinks... The benefits might be too low in a complete reversal of the picture uh, less than 10 years ago. But first, our columnist panel. It's Monday, so it must be Libby Rachey. That's Libby Purvis and Rachel Sylvester. And we need to hear from someone else first as well. It turns out Brenda was right.
1: You're joking. Not another one? Oh, for God's sake, I can't honestly... I can't stand this. There's too much politics going on at the moment. Why does she need to do it?
0: (laughs) (laughs) And that was 2017. Never mind all the politics that went on since then. Well, it turns out that uh, Brenda was not just a bit grumpy in Bristol, but she was speaking for the nation. Uh, There's some new research today showing that uh, questionnaires filled in by more than a million adults from two dozen European countries over the past 30 years finds that elections make people miserable what do you make of that rachel
2: well uh, elections have also become increasingly sort of miserable making so increasingly divisive angry social media hasn't helped you know it used to be politicians went around to town halls or on a soapbox um, and physically met the voters now a lot of it is is a kind of air war of slogans and Twitter attacks. Um, so it's sort of not surprising in a way. And then also the the sort of choice on offer, you know, at the last election, Boris Johnson versus Jeremy Corbyn in Britain, not exactly an mo- appealing choice to lots of people. So people end up voting against somebody rather than for somebody, which adds to this sense of slightly depressing negative feeling to it all and then of course we've had so many in britain anyway so many referendums over the last few years there's just this exhaustion with going to the ballot box although actually i still think people love or i still love going to actually put your cross in the box if there's some something you want to vote for but it's just a sense of what are you actually what's the choice facing you
0: what about you, Libby? This, this poll said that, uh, asked how they, that, 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 so as part of the survey, they asked people how they felt about life before and after, it was 148 national elections. As polling day approached, the mood slumped, with the people, the proportion of people satisfied with their existence fallen by 2.5%. Is that how you feel as polling day approaches?
1: Well, no, actually. I mean, uh, just do note that this is a Bale University survey and any university psychology department has to be sort of the eyebrows have to rise a little. Uh, But they actually (laughs) notice that the Britons are less miserable about elections than Germans or Italians. You see, we're actually less miserable about elections than than people in in Germany and Italy. But on the whole, I mean, I'm with Tony Benn. He splendidly said that Election Day is splendid. It's the only one when we're all equal. Everybody counts the same on Election Day. And of course, the campaigns are depressing. And of course, the politicians themselves are often depressing. But on Election Day itself, you should be filled with joy. You know, here we are. And I am as good as anybody with my little cross in the box. I think it's magic.
0: There is also something about how not obviously putting aside the December 2019 election, which weather wise was pretty miserable. But there's something about early May. This, and this is obviously why um, prime ministers choose to have elections then. You know, heading off, it's normally a nice, crisp, sunny morning. And, you, you know, you've got a spring in your step and new beginnings and all that sort of stuff. And when you do go and vote, you do feel like there's, you know, change is possible or, you know, you're, you're, you're doing something positive. And maybe that's maybe that's why we feel slightly better. I'd be interested to know. If it is uh, the 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 how we feel about it does does overlap at all with the mm. with the weather? Obviously, we have got um, a big chunk of uh, chunk of local elections happening this year. Um, Rachel, do you get as excited about? Local elections, Uh, uh, well, we've got local elections in England, we've got lots of mayoral elections in England, obviously, you know, elections to the uh, Welsh and Scottish parliaments as well. Do you get as excited by those?
2: I don't, and I know that's probably bad, because actually, you know, everything from your bins to whether or not the roads are shut down to your local council. But there just feels like less of a buzz about it. I think also people don't know who their councillors are, so you don't have that sense of voting for an individual in quite the same way you do with, with an MP. Uh, so I don't, no, I don't. Um, and I think probably a lot of people don't as well. But I, the, interesting, this time, the Scottish Parliament elections are going to be hugely significant um, because of the issue of independence. And if the SNP win there, you know, despite all the psychodrama with Alex Ammond and Nicola Sturgeon, we're all going to be watching that one.
0: <laughs> what do you think I mean that's probably the biggest uh but you know for, for political watchers that's the biggest battle Libby
1: yes of course it is and and I mean it's it's you know I my father was a Scot and I, he'd be just so horrified at what's going on at the moment I don't know how he'd feel about independence or whether Scotland should have independence. But as to local councils, what's interesting is, you see, at the moment, we're all rather fond of our own local councillor here because he's been organising all the rotas very efficiently for the volunteers at the vaccination centre. And I think up and down the country, this is probably repeated, suddenly people are knowing who their local councillor is and how their local councillor is helping on the vaccination uh, vaccination rotors or whatever. And, and uh, that, that'll be a huge vote winner, you know, the sense of someone visibly doing something rather than being in some invisible committee and nothing happening.
0: Yeah, in fact, my local councillor, on, on Saturday night, we had a power cut just as we were settling down with a takeaway to watch Saturday Night Takeaway. We had a power cut, so I went on our local Facebook group and so, does anyone else lost their power? And the first, one of the first people to come back was the local councillor. He sent me to the website to report what had happened, and to get an update. And I thought, what well, that—that's—he's done more just mm, in that yeah. five minutes to explain uh, to, to sort of influence my life than probably the entire time we've lived in this house. So I was very pleased with uh, very pleased with that. It was interesting. You, you, you make the point Rachel about what's happening in, in Scotland. There was this uh, story over the weekend. This poll in the Sunday Mail saying that support for independence has dropped to just 50% for the first time since June last year, uh, suggesting that the civil war within the SNP has dented the campaign to break up Britain. Um, I mean, it's got to fall a lot further, really, hasn't it, before it really starts uh, suggesting it's had an impact on uh, Nicola Sturgeon. But it's not great timing for Nicola Sturgeon as we gear up for the elections in, in May. Divided politicians, divided parties anyway, tend not to to win elections. There doesn't seem to be any doubt that, that the SNP will emerge still in power in Scotland, but it's whether or not um, uh, she has her wings clipped. Um, and it's just an extraordinary about turn, isn't it, given that her and Alex Salmon were so close.
2: I know. It's really incredible, actually, the way in which, you know, their dream of independence is closer than ever. It really is. You know, the polls are moving in that direction. Boris Johnson, incredibly unpopular in Scotland. But yet the personality you know faction fighting somehow the the self-indulgence of that is incredible that politicians somehow can't see the big picture that their dream is closer than ever but yet they're still going to engage in this internecine warfare um it's really extraordinary well i don't know is to what extent uh, the problem is i think the other parties are just not um, still seen as really credible alternatives in Scotland. So that's one of the problems is when there isn't a sort of strong opposition, then this effectively what's become almost a one party system, um, you know, there's a sort of self-indulgence is allowed to develop.
0: Yeah, I was struck actually, uh, Anis Sawas, the new Scottish Labour leader, was on. Uh, Times Ready yesterday. It's been to Tom Newton Dunn and Gloria Piero. And I found him quite sort of open and engaging, and he he answered the questions. And he, well, he even made the mistake of when Tom asked him, uh, Who's your celebrity crush? he ended up giving three. I can't <laughs> help thinking that whoever his new uh, spin doctor is, you'll soon stop him a- answering questions like that. Um, but may- yeah, maybe he will have a bit of an impact. Probably, he's probably not got time between now and the uh, the elections in May. Uh, Libby, let's and talk Ruth about Davison your.
2: Did, sorry, Ruth Davidson did manage to make a different dent on it um, for the Tories. You know, when she was leader up there, so it is possible. It's just at the mo- you know recently, it's just been SNP has been so dominant.
0: Yeah, no, it would be interesting. It actually, yeah, mm. uh, Ruth Davidson managed to do that thing of having a point of difference with the, the, the Tory leader in Westminster and maybe Anna Sarra needs to do the same with on uh, I Libby, love the way you talk two about can't, your...
1: get, can't get off Scottish politics, can no, you? No, no, let's get off it. I'm trying to talk about your column, Louis. I'm
0: trying <laughs> oh, to talk about Oh, God. It. <laughs> <laughs> So your co- I thought your <laughs> comment was really interesting today. About it's about sort of the return of borders. We've we've all got so used to their, you know, uh, you know certainly in, uh, you know across Europe you could until at least until Brexit we could travel across borders with ease. But also you know lots of other places you could go uh, easily, and not really have to think about where you went. You know, your passport uh, you know got you in almost anywhere. And now borders are back.
1: Yes, it's fascinating. It's a sort of island claustrophobia that, that threatens us now because, you know, whether it was the Maldives or Magaluf or ski runs or, you know, city breaks, check out the northern lights, go see some penguins. We've all vaguely thought that, yeah, yeah, actually, you know, apart from a few really dodgy countries, you know, the world is pretty much open if we've got enough money and a passport, so off we can go. And suddenly, no, you can't. You know, extraordinary sort of there's, there's now lines between Norway and Sweden, there's lines between uh, the US and Canada, you know, between Spain and Portugal. You know, Germany's closed itself off at some points from Austria. Um, and, And there's a whole sense that everything has changed and even in my lifetime there's been a uh, it's been a big change it's been a big opening up of a sense of borders I mean I can remember it being you know quite edgy skiing around on the Austrian Czech border in the Iron Curtain years or um, we were posted my dad was posted to West Germany or the Berlin Wall was still up and we were really we went to have a look at it and it was really really creepy and I think now we're we're suddenly remembering that there is such a thing as borders and history doesn't stop history changes Uh, I think we going to really value and be excited by travel again when we are allowed out of Britain, you know, and in fact, I gather Nicola Sturgeon we're back to her again, she doesn't even want us in Scotland, does she? We're, we're sort of uh, we can't go anywhere. There's a period when Mark Drayford wouldn't let us into Wales. We are very trapped, aren't we, Matt? Trapped.
0: <laughs> Do you think, Libby, that uh, the borders will reopen with the same sort of speed in which they closed? Or or will countries uh, Get, get a bit more used to be able to decide who comes in and who doesn 't, and will we find that traveling might not be quite as easy as it was before?
1: I think quite a lot of countries will have sort of got a bit of a taste for knowing who's here you know, know knowing who's there and knowing knowing who isn't there i mean it's always an issue with us it's been an issue because of of migration and that's a, a different kind of thing but i think you know that that sort of sense uh, it, it may just prove a little a little too attractive in some countries you know the control of the borders you know if you've got the systems up um, you know why not keep them but I, I don't think you know it won't be as bad obviously but i i do think it's a it's a change of emphasis in the way we think about the world and that's probably quite a good jolt for us because that sort of vague presumption people have that oh yeah we thought we'd winter in the sun you know we, we thought we'd go south you know, <laughs> you know oh we, we'll have we'll, we'll have that we'll have the the uh, stag party in Tallinn you know and uh, the police won't uh, won't catch up with us before we get the flight home i think we need to get over some of that and uh, it's interesting because it was all beginning of course with this flight shame and greeter and all the rest of it and people worrying about aviation i think there'll be different it it Should be more of a treat than than a sort of right, like you know, like breathing or washing your hands.
0: (laughs) Oh yeah, what a treat washing our hands has been in the last twelve months. What do you what do you you (laughs) think? That was a really uh... bad example. (laughs) It's our only treat these days. What do you think, Rachel?
2: Well, I think it's interesting because Brexit was all about taking back control over our borders, but still people wanted to go on holiday abroad. You know, it was take control over the immigration. But now we've been found that the pandemic has forced, you know, everyone's taken back control of their borders and actually people don't like it quite so much. They want this open world. Mm. Uh, And I think it's partly that holidays abroad and holidays in the sun and adventure and travel it's all about sort of bringing creating the best sense of yourself isn't it it's about you know you and you um doing an exciting trek you with your family on the beach you living an idyllic life um and it's the build-up to a holiday that says exciting as the actual holiday itself often whereas now being locked down is the opposite of that it's all about you know the dr- drudgery of day-to-day life and you know running out of conversation with your friends and family and what it's you, you know, sort of what it's about opening up rather than closing down and actually people want the openness in the end
0: Libby Purvis and Rachel Sylvester today and of course you can read them both in the Times every week. Libby on a Monday, Rachel on a Tuesday. Just get yourself a Times subscription. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash timesredbox. Up next, unfair state or welfare state. Does Rishi Sunak need to spend more on the benefit system? That's next on the Red Box podcast. You're listening to the Red Box podcast. I'm Matt Chorley. Now let's talk about benefits. Now, down the street will be hoping the big political story of this week will be the budget and all eyes on Rishi Sunak and what he will do with universal credit, with even conservative opinions split on how generous he should be. But first, let's turn the clock back. Do you remember this? For too long, we've had a system where people who did the right thing, who get up in the morning and work hard, felt penalised for it, while people who did the wrong thing got rewarded for it. That's wrong. The benefit system is broken. It penalises those who try to do the right thing. And the British people badly want it fixed. And we agree. And those who don't are on the wrong side of the British public. Well, that was George Osborne back in 2013. Well, if the public agreed with him back then, they don't now. We've got some new polling from YouGov which shows there's been a big uh, change. In fact, a straight swap in attitudes about the welfare system, but then more people thought benefits were too high, and now they think they're too low. Here to talk uh, through it is YouGov's Anthony Wells. Hi, Anthony. Hi, Matt. Uh, so explain what's happened. I mean, sometimes we get very excited in polling. If oh, someone's up two points, down a point. Uh, this is like a proper big change. I know it's over a long period of time. But explain what's happened.
3: It's well, as you said. It used to be that people generally thought the benefits were too generous and particularly for people who are out of work um, um now it's the other way around and people would like benefits to be more generous um most of it's yeah i think the assumption is oh that's corona that's lots of people who have been been forced out of work and so opinions have changed it's not actually it's a much longer term trend um <laughs> and if anything it's without going all academic. The, the, when academics talk about it, it's sort of say, it's saying that public opinion is thermostatic. It's like a thermostat and a boiler. It's If you've got a Tory government for a long period of time, which we have, um, uh, doing generally Tory things and you know, keeping benefits down, then public opinion starts to shift away from that. Now they get to a point where they think, oh, maybe they're too low now. Maybe they should be a bit more generous. That's what's happened here. Public opinion has generally, gradually shifted towards benefits being more generous.
0: It's interesting that you're right, that there's this complete swap. If you imagine on a on – a, on a, it's difficult describing a graph on, on the radio, but it's, it's basically a big cross. So it used to be that people who thought the benefits were too high uh, was uh, at the top, and then that's gone down to the right, and then uh, the people who thought benefits were too low has gone in the opposite direction. And now uh, it, that's gone um, from 21% to 35% now think benefits are too low. big chunk in the middle think it's about right. And in terms of um, how this sort of feeds into uh, politics right now, and, you know, th- those those sort of, you know, the welfare system is broken, speeches from George Osborne, now just feel like a, a really long time ago. And that people now say that um, far from it being, uh, you know, back then, 63% thought the benefit system was not strict enough and was open to abuse and f- fraud. Uh, that's now um, down to 39% of, of voters. Uh, so the... the is that because people think the benefit system has been fixed and what should you know the politically sensible thing for Rishi Sunak be to do in the in the budget this week um i don't really think it's been fixed because you've also got it going up in the other direction you know more and more people think
3: um that it's it's too strict and you know so people still think there's problems but it's different problems now, now there's a there's still a significant chunk of people who think it's it's, um, it's not strict enough and people are abusing it. But there's also a growing chunk of people who think that it's far too strict and that people who genuinely need help are missing out because the government is is um, um, being too bureaucratic and too strict and too cruel. Um, um, so it's one of those where it gives Rishi Sunak a much more difficult balance. Once upon a time he could easily play to that audience of people who just thought that a large chunk of benefit claimants were scroungers now he can't, you've got a trickier thing of balancing it and making sure that people think it's fair and that you are not only cutting down on people who are taking advantage but also ensuring that people who genuinely do need help are actually getting it, Um, there still are actually some areas where public opinion is very very one sided Um, if you go and look at Particular groups, the percentage of people who think that disabled people need more help and that the benefit system should be more generous is overwhelming. That's not a sort of thirty thirty balance. That's sort of that's forty five to seven. Yeah. There is, you know, on that sense, if you want to be popular, you know, give more help to disabled, give more help to pensioners, give more help into low income families, help people who are in work but on low pay, so on. There is, on that, it's. Public opinion is pretty one-sided; that people want those people to get more help. So his balance there is: is can he afford to keep paying without running up too much debt? And that's his his real challenge. Is not what you do on the benefits; is how do you pay for it?
0: Uh, well, it'll be interesting to see how it, how it pans out and what impact, you know, the budget has on uh, on public opinion. Um, and we'll probably all get very excited about a, a point of uh, moving one one percentage point one or the other. Anthony Wells from you, YouGov, uh, thanks very much for uh, talking us uh, at that. Well, uh, like we said, it's the budget on Wednesday. Chancellor Rishi Sunak under pressure in particular to keep the £20 universal credit increase, which he announced last year, the standard rate of universal credit. He increased by £20 per week uh, just for the duration of the pandemic, and he's had to extend it a few times. He's under pressure to increase it. Therese coffee, the Working Pension Secretary, wanted it increased uh, by uh, extended for a year. Uh, it sounds as if Rishi Sinat might only do it for six months. Well, the Chancellor was on uh, Times Radio yesterday with Lord Tapiero and Tom Newton Dunn. He warned the tap can't stay on forever.
4: Last year, at the outset of this crisis, I said I would do whatever it takes to support British people and businesses through this crisis. And I remain committed to that. And we will keep supporting people through the remaining stage of this crisis, but also level with people about the challenges that we face in our public finances as a result of coronavirus and our plan to address that.
0: That was Rishi Sunak on Times Radio at the weekend. So what we wanted to do this... Today, we we'll just really dig into exactly what is happening in the benefits system. In this moment, we'll hear from uh, Maria McCauley, who's a single mum from Belfast, who claims universal credit. We'll also speak to Paul Sweeney, who was a Labour MP, and he uh, was forced to use the benefits system after he lost his seat. But first, let's speak to Mike Brewer, the head of economics at the Resolution Foundation uh, Think Tank. Hi, Mike. Good morning, Matt. Let's start with the nuts and bolts with this. Then, exactly how much do we currently spend on benefits?
4: Oh, what a, a <laughs> number that I haven't come prepared for! Uh, I've already been asked to how much somebody <laughs> in, you asked how much somebody in universal credit gets a month. But I I'll tell you that they get they get four hundred and ten pounds a month if you're a single person, um, and that's with the with the, with the twenty pound a, a week uplift.
0: And how does that um, uh, stack up? if you're uh, Because there are sort of different elements to it, aren't there? So how how can we £410 a month? Uh, lots of people listening to this would think that didn't sound like a, a huge amount of money if you've got housing bills and food bills and heating bills and so on. Um, what other elements? Because Universal Credit was sort of designed to bring loads of uh, benefits together into one, but then there's sort of lots of elements in it. So how, how can that add up?
4: That's absolutely right. So I gave you the amount for a single person with no children, and also I didn't include the amount you get for rent. So you get more universal credit if you're if you're living together as a couple. You get extra amounts of universal credit for for uh, children for the first two children you have, and if you are renting, then you can you get an, an allowance towards your rent, which which again also the chancellor put up uh, about a year ago in response to uh, coronavirus.
0: And the key thing is that even quite you know modest changes the tw- you know adding 20 pounds per week to the basic rate uh, costs phenomenal amounts of money isn't it It's like four billion pounds i think every time uh, rishi sunak has extended it so uh, and i suppose it's also that if you're going to be generous at a time when more and more people are claiming that does only add, add adds, further adds to the bill
4: well there are different ways of thinking about this generosity so the the £20 a week decision, uh, if we look at all the people who are getting universal credit and working tax credit, it's about 7% of their income. So he, he boosted their incomes by 7% a year ago, and what he's thinking about now is, when do I take away that 7% on average? Um, and people on a, you know, for people on a low income, having to do without 7% of your income, and it could be more, of course, that's just the average, but having to do without 7% of your income uh, you know, can, can be very, very difficult. And then we can zoom out to Rishi Sunak's problem, um, which, as you say, the, these are also – these are large sums of money. There are between five and six million people who would get this £20 a week extra, either because of universal credit or because of tax credits. And if, if anything, it's more like £6 billion for the whole year um, to carry on extending it. So, you know, yes, he will be very mindful of the cost of public finances – but I think you know, what I would say is to play his words back to him and, and, and ask him when he thinks this crisis will be over. And I think it's, it's certainly certainly not over yet. And it's, it's doubtful whether it will be over in six months time as well.
0: It's really good to speak to you. Mike Boer, the head of economics at the Resolution uh, Foundation on uh, exactly how the benefits system works. Up next, we're going to speak to two people um, who've uh, been on the receiving end of uh, the benefits system. We'll do that next on Times Radio.
1: Times Radio with Matt
0: Chorley. Okay, we've been talking about what public opinion says about the level of the benefit system, but what about being on the receiving end of it? Delighted now to be joined by Maria McCauley, uh, who lives uh, in Belfast and receives Universal Credit. Hi, hi Maria.
5: Hello, how are you?
0: I'm very good. I'm very good. Thanks for joining us. We've also got Paul Sweeney. Paul was the Labour MP for Glasgow North East between 2017 and 2017. And 2019, but had to claim universal credit after losing his seat. Hi, Paul. Good morning. Uh, uh, thanks for joining us. We'll, we'll come to you in a second, Paul. Maria, explain your situation to us. Um, how, uh, how do you find um, universal credit? What elements are you getting? Uh, just talk us through your situation.
5: Um, well, I um, was made redundant two and a half years ago and since then I've been claiming universal credit. I'm a single mum and I have two children. My youngest son is disabled. He has um, chronic kidney disease and low functioning autism. Um, so I've I've been on the benefit from, for two and a half years and I honestly don't think that I will be coming off of it any anytime soon. Even when my son does grow up he will still require supervision at all times. So.
0: And how did you find that process of, of, I mean, it's a stressful enough time when you um, you are made redundant, and then yeah. navigating your way through the system? There's been in the past lots of criticism about uh, getting through universal credit and that sort of thing. How did you find entering mm-hmm. that process?
5: Um, the the claiming it itself was fairly straightforward, but the hoops you had to jump through just to get anything. The, the appointments at the job centre, constantly, like two to three times a week, showing, making sure you're claiming um, you had your right... Um, passport and documentation and stuff but even after that it was just a real snowball effect you go on to universal credit and it just created so many problems rent arrears tax credit overpayments um, still paying back rent arrears now still paying back tax credit overpayments still paying back an advanced loan you know so it's it's a badly designed system a very very poorly designed
0: so just just explain for people what that means. So so you get essentially approved for the yeah. uh, um, uh, to receive universal credit, but then there's a delay until you actually start getting it. But then they give you yep. they essentially lend you some money. Yeah. and Then you then have to pay that back later on with the universal credit that you do receive.
5: Yeah. So there's a deduction. I took uh, an advance, quite a big advance, was the, the maximum that they would give me, and i paid it back over the course of a year. Um, £85 a month until it was paid out.
0: Okay, Uh, let's bring in uh, Paul now. Uh, Paul, uh, describe for you you, what happened to you when you lost your seat.
6: Well, I mean, it's it's kind of part of the risk of going into elected politics, you know, that you're at the mercy of an election and it just unfortunately didn't work out and... uh, after I, after I lost my seat, I actually got involved in uh, Angela Rayner's campaign for deputy leader of the Labour Party. And that was obviously a temporary bit of work during that campaign. And when it ended, I actually realised, goodness, for the first time since I was 14, um, I've actually not got any paid uh, income coming in. So uh, given the nature of the lockdown, which had kicked in by that stage and everybody was in a bit of a disoriented state, I thought, well, there's nothing else for it, really. I, I know certainly from my dealings with constituents as an MP that um, you know, I was encouraging people to, to make use of the benefit system and the social security system. So I thought, there well, there's no shame in applying for it because certainly um, I'm a, entitled to it and B, would, would make use of it, just you now given the kind of situation I was I was facing. Um, and uh, the way the calculation works is you, you apply it, which I actually find, I suppose as a rather young person, I um, IQ literate, I found the application online reasonably straightforward, bearing in mind that the government had simplified it at that stage. Applied online, um, and then after five weeks, I think it was about the four-week stage, I found out what I was going to actually get. And I got uh, it was five weeks later, I got a payment of two hundred eighteen pounds. So it's not exactly, um, it, it, you know, extravagant, but it certainly takes the edge off the kind, of, the kind of worry that you might be facing certainly at that stage. But certainly, you know, I was lucky enough to have some savings from the, the redundancy payment I received, which has taken a lot of the pressure off me in terms of the like, actual destitution. But, um, but certainly, it, it's not nowhere near enough to live off of, uh, but it certainly just buys you a bit of time, I think that's the main thing. But for people that are really on the breadline, um, it's nowhere near enough to survive, and it's the lowest of any developed country, actually, um, in terms of previous employment uh, pay um, that we have in Social Security. So that's a real concern, given the situation just now with the state of unemployment.
0: And Paul, were you having been a constituency MP, probably dealt with people struggling with universal credit and that sort of thing? Was there anything that surprised you about the process, or even the amount of money that you got? But just sort of seeing it from the from the other side of the fence, if you like.
6: Well, I think it was just the uncertainty of having to wait so long initially, uh, and you know, as we've heard, you know, people often. Um, need to take out that advance payment, and you're kind of starting on the back foot right away, you know, and that's really a, a, an unfortunate situation for someone who's all, you know, already financially distressed to be getting into, um, already just finding themselves on the back foot in, in debt right away, so I think that's a major flaw in this system, having to wait so long, not actually knowing what to expect, so how are you, how are you meant to budget, uh, and it takes into account the in fact how much savings you've got, um, so any savings uh, up to £16,000. I think it is, um, are taken into account in determining how much you'll get. So it's all a bit uncertain at the start as to what you can budget for. Um, And I think that's a major flaw in the system, just that initial uncertainty. And obviously, the sum itself is is, is fairly pathetic, um, you know, what you actually get in the end. Um, So unless you do have savings to fall back on to at least the extent, you're really struggling with it. Um, You know, and I I suppose I've just been fortunate that, you know, I've been able to kind of do the a month's work here and there and then I'm back on it again, you know, just given the uncertainty of, uh, of um, the current kind of situation with work and stuff like that, but certainly for the last five months I've been relying completely on universal credit and my savings, which are pretty, a pretty low level at this stage. So, you know, the pressure is creeping up at month by month is watching your bank account dwindle away
0: and Maria, listening to that, Paul said that when, when he claimed, he didn't, you know, he knew about the system from being an MP, he didn't see any shame in it, that's what it, what it's there for. Uh, it was a couple of years ago now, I think, that you, you started claiming. And I just wonder how you felt when you, you'd you been in a job, you were made redundant. How did you feel having to turn to Universal Credit, given that, you know, all that stuff that we heard from George Osborne, the, you know, the benefits is not working and people taking advantage and all that sort of stuff. How did that feel when you when you had to turn to the benefit system?
5: Well, I just find found the whole press process really mentally draining. Every week, every month, there was just a new problem, another occurrence, something else that had to be dealt with. And like from coming out of work and having to move on to a benefit system, but a benefit system that's so poor that doesn't support you that it's not paid at a rate that is livable. It's just horrible. And given the fact that we were one of the first people to move on to universal credit, a lot of the problems that we ran into, they have already sorted. And some have addressed some of the issues, and there is still some issues there, and still rent arrears and overpayments and triggering um, debt and stuff but it was just constant nightmare the whole time and it's only now things have started to settle I know what I have and I was the same I was constantly having to rely on parents and family to send me money because there just wasn't enough there was bills coming in because when you were in employment you know you used your credit card you had, you had um, Sky you know you had you didn't think you were gonna not have a job, so you weren't prepared. I didn't have any savings whatsoever. So I was just completely floored for that first thirty year and now only now that I'm just like really getting on my back on my feet again. I'm not I don't have a lot of money, but what I have last me now, whereas it was constantly having to borrow and borrow and borrow.
0: We should point out that Kathy's just been in touch, saying, "want to make the point that um, uh, people who were on legacy benefits haven't received the twenty pounds universal credit uplift." So if you yep. were on benefits, you know, particularly before um, the time that you went onto universal credit, you wouldn't have had that twenty pounds uh, extra. Mm. How, how how was what difference did that twenty pounds made to, made to you, Maria? It's made
5: an awful lot of a difference. I mean, just Christmas was. Terrible, like trying to get stuff for the children and trying to buy presents and stuff. And now that Christmas is out of the way, I can actually see that I have that wee bit more money. It's getting a wee bit lighter, so we can go. We walk to the park and we can stop off and get an ice cream on the way home. It's good in a way that there's nothing opened at the minute because you've, you've nowhere else to go. But once stuff starts opening again, and <laughs> the kids want to go places, and like a trip to the city, I mean, that would be like fifty pound. You know, I trip even to the 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 wee um, soft area is twenty pound, and you're just sort of going, well, "What's going to happen then?" You know, when I really don't have the money, when I can't afford to do stuff.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a it's a really good uh, it's a really good point you make. Marie. Well, just one, I want to ask you both, if you having been through the system, uh, if if Rishi Sunak was uh, was listening. What what ch- what would you like to see him do this week? But also, what change, what sort of practical, because quite often people who are on the receiving end of these things have better ideas than the people designing them. What what would you like to see Rishi Sinak announce and what change could be made to the system, do you think, to improve? it? let's start with you, Paul.
6: Well, first of all, I think removing that initial uncertainty is critical. You know, um, to actually having a, a, an upfront grant payment um, straight away would be really beneficial for people. To so give them that initial uncertainty, uncertain, uh, rather than getting bogged down in a debt payment right away, um and also i think as with as with you know people are spending this immediately to try and just cover the basic essential aspects of living um whether it's rent or food or whatever you know so this isn't stuff has been hoarded in savings um and i think it's important to note that you know giving people particularly in very low incomes greater security um mm-hmm. gives them more confidence to actually mm-hmm. go out and actually search for work actually build a foundation so keeping people hammered on the breadline um, massively increases anxiety, increases stress, makes it less likely they're fit to actually return into the workforce uh, work to the extent there's any jobs available just now. Um, so I think it's a self-defeating approach to have the benefits set at such a low level relative to our, our countries around the world. Um, and it just really undermines our potential as a country. So I think, you know, Removing that initial uncertainty is critical, but also the overall level is just so ridiculously low that it's really undermining our potential. And a lot of people on very low incomes are suffering severe mental health problems as well as the practical issues of low incomes.
0: Uh, and what about you, Maria? What would you be your advice to uh, to Rishi Sunak?
5: Um, I would be to lift the benefit cap and to increase the amount of benefits they're paid at because they're paid at a lower rate today than what they were at 2003. And considering how much the cost of living has went up even before the pandemic and so much more so after it. Um, And just allow people to have enough money to support their children to live comfortably, not in extremes. Like, we don't want to be going on holiday, but we need to have enough to feed our kids. We shouldn't have to go to food banks. We shouldn't have to rely on charity. We should have enough. You know, we've worked most of our life the the situation is out of my control where that I can't work. I would love to go back to work again and not be seen as a stranger, but there's so many people that are vulnerable and need support. And they're the are the people that are missing out. It's not the people that are working two jobs or working cash in hand. You know, it's the genuine people that have nowhere else to turn to and nobody else that the help are the ones that are living on very little.
0: And what about there'll be some people shouting at the radio saying, um uh... You know there are, there will be opportunities. The economy comes back. You know, you know this is the, the George Osborne argument: get off of benefits and 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 get into work. What do you say to those people?
5: Are you going to come and mind my son <laughs> if I have to go to work? <laughs> because I have nobody else to mind him. He doesn't need a childcare, He needs someone that is properly trained. That would obviously cost a lot more than what I would earn. You know, I I don't just sit at home and enjoy sitting at home. I, I have I worked struggled for many years trying to get my children to and from school to get people to work after them, you know, and it was just constant running into problems all the time, you know, not sleeping hospital appointments, more appointments, more appointments, speech speech therapy and all, and it's just to the point where I'm glad that I don't go to work now because it's not as stressful. It's very stressful working at 7 o'clock, coming home, doing homework, doing the school lunches, getting uniforms, sort of trying to get out of school again. John was up all night, he was sick, saying I was getting in trouble for being late. You know, it was just a constant battle all the time. And I would love to have a job that's just, it's not something that, obviously, my daughter's still at home anyway, so at the minute I wouldn't be working anyway, but yeah. I, I would love to have a job and feel worthwhile and feel like I'm not a scrounger. but it's just not it's out of my control.
0: Well, that's it for this episode of Red Box. Uh, if you've enjoyed it, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. Maybe even leave us a rating because it helps with the Mumbo Jumbo charts. We release an episode every day, Monday to Thursday, featuring the best bits of my Times radio show. You can listen to the whole thing, uh, Monday to Thursday, 10 till 1, is available on DAB online via Smart Speaker or on the Times radio app. And if you want to read more about all of the stories we've been discussing, then go to times.radio forward slash subscribe.